Hey Memphis, this is your girl D McGee, and I just released my latest project called Unveil, and it's streaming on all platforms. I'm here hanging with my girl Ina Esco on the Verbally Effective Podcast. This is I Make Mad Beats, CEO and founder of Unapologetic. I'm here with Ina Esco on the Verbally Effective Podcast. Hi, I'm Boo Mitchell, and I'm verbally effective because I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. And every day I'm at Royal Studios. Lawrence Boo Mitchell is a Grammy award-winning engineer, producer, composer, award-winning movie producer, and studio owner. Born January 14, 1971, Boo is the son of legendary High Records and Al Green producer Willie Mitchell. Boo began his storied musical career in 1987 at the young age of 16, honing his chops, songwriting, and playing keyboards. In 1988, he formed a rap group called The M-Team. The M-Team was the first rap group from Memphis to release a full-length album and the first rap group from Memphis to have a video played on MTV. In 1993, Boo worked as manager and talent coordinator at his family's club, Willie Mitchell's Rhythm and Blues Club, located on Memphis historic Bill Street. By the year 2000, the family closed the club and Boo moved on to be the manager of his father's legendary Royal Studios. Over the next three years, Boo managed the studio while moonlighting as producer and engineer working with various artists. Spanning the next six years, he worked closely with his father doing projects for chart-busting artists such as Al Green, Buddy Guy, Rod Stewart, Solomon Burke, and Anthony Hamilton. Sadly, Boo's father, Willie Mitchell, passed away in 2010. Boo continued to engineer and run the studio, working with artists such as Sir Cliff Richards, Lamont Dozier, and Cody Chestnut. For more than a decade, Boo has worked in the studio and on stage with a who's who of phenomenal artists. In 2016, Boo made Memphis music history by winning the Record of the Year Grammy Award for his work on the Mark Ronson, Bruno Mars hit, Uptown Funk. It is the first time a record made in Memphis has earned a Grammy for Record of the Year. Verbally effective, your double E, Ina Esco, in the building. And I got a big legend on the podcast today. Thank you guys so much for listening. Today I have with me Grammy award-winning engineer, producer, composer, award-winning movie producer, and studio owner, Mr. Boo Mitchell. Hi, Boo. Hello, Ina. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm so glad we finally connected and you're here. I know. After emails back and forth, it I know. feels good to be, you know. Yes. Thank you. You look so young and vibrant. Oh, my God. Bless you. you like bless you. About 25. Double blessing. <laughs> <laughs> you look good. It looks like, you know, life has been treating you really good. Well, God is good. I've definitely been blessed and fortunate so happy to be here yes and i'm so glad you're here because you i mean are filled with so much history with the city of memphis with our music and okay i'm let's just let's start potting mr mitchell (laughs) so i like to start my pods with all of my guests on exactly where they are from 
Oh, Memphis, Tennessee. What part of Memphis, Tennessee? Uh, South Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> really, South Memphis? Uh-huh. Like what area? Put me in the vicinity. Uh, so I grew up probably till I was about five or six, right off of Belts, Fern, uh, Fernwood. Yeah, Fernwood. Fernwood. Uh huh. Okay, okay, that's yep. where you grew up. Yep. And how how was it like growing up in South Memphis? It was cool. Had a little basketball go. Yeah, there was a park behind the house. (laughs) You had a good childhood. I had a good childhood. Yep. And then I spent the rest of my childhood in East Memphis. Um, Went to. uh, I graduated from Christian Brothers. Okay. So Christian Brothers High School. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. How was it going uh, to Christian Brothers? What kind of activities were you involved in? You know, it was all boys, but. It it was probably a good thing because since there were no girls, we weren't really concerned about what we wore to school. Uh, okay, yeah. It's probably why I don't iron my clothes now. <laughs> 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 Me and the irons don't get along. It's like, ain't no girls, ain't no sense right. be looking cute. There's no need to impress <clears throat> anyone today. Right. So, but yeah, it, it was fun. I went to school with a, a great bunch of, the cool thing about Christian Brothers, it, you know, it's a, private school but they had we had the richest of the rich and the poorest of the poor and you know I had Vietnamese friends and mm-hmm. friends from Afghanistan so it kind of gave me a um, a better outlook on how to get along with anybody because mm-hmm. there was no really status quo at that school it was like you were either cool and you weren't and it didn't matter if you was rich or poor or black or white if you know, so I, I enjoyed my my high school had a um, good effect on shaping me to be the person I am. Okay, were you like in the band at Christian Brothers? Were you? Man, I was in the dabbing? band for a minute, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I played keys, and the um, the band was like an all brass band, all a wind instrument band, and. So first, you know, it'd be like my dad. I'm like, Pop, I'm gonna play trumpet. You know, man, I played that trumpet for about, I don't know, three or four weeks, and I had this ring on my lip from the trumpet. From the trumpet, I was like, Pop, I can't <laughs> play the trumpet, bro. I'm <laughs> <laughs> had to go with a bigger mouthpiece, and I went to the trombone, and then I eventually transitioned into PE. <laughs> it's a PE. You just said forget it all. Yeah, because I, I wanted to play, you know, and then we had the studio at the time, so I was really into, like, synthesizers and keyboards and drum machines, and I, you know, mm-hmm. that. So you but, had, like, really, you know, with you growing up with your father, Willie Mitchell, like, you were already immersed into music. Yeah. At the house. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, I had a Really blessed childhood too, because I mean we had real to real tape recorders like mm-hmm. as far back as I can remember, even like four and five years old. Mm-hmm. We had there was always instruments around, but my dad was so cool. You know, people ask me like, did he you know force you to do anything? And it's like no, he didn't. He let you do what you wanted to do, but if you showed interest then he would enhance the interest. He'd be like, oh, you like that. So, and then, you know, he would take it a step further. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the, you know, that's the way I grew up and that's the way I raised my kids. Um, 
I remember my middle son played drums growing up and you know he would do stuff every now and then like huh that's not normal <laughs> and uh so i'd try to enhance it so i i remember when he was about 13 i uh i got him this like the fruity loops demo mm-hmm. man about two days later that player had made like three tracks i was like wow. who made that he was like i mean, I was like you made that mm. it's like okay got about a real version <laughs> okay but isn't that somehow you can like you know see something and hear something in your child and you know how to maybe you know make it pop and make it grow as an as a parent right you know yeah wow okay so after you graduated christian brothers what did you do mr mitchell well while i was at christian brothers i was uh i started rapping when i was about 16 and by the time I was seventeen, I had made my first song, and that was uh, that was in '88. And shit, wasn't nobody rapping back then. It was, yeah. um, it was us, me and my brother uh, Archie had a group uh, called the M Team. The M Team. And um, Willie Hall's son, Willie Hall, is the drummer that's playing drums on Shaft and all the Isaac Hayes records. And his his son was Gangster Pat. And he had a record, so both of us, <laughs> we was like the only cats rapping. Um, my record was called Rolling Samurai because Samurai Suzuki's was mm-hmm. out, and then Gangster Pat had I'm the Gangster. And this was like Gangster Walking was just start had like literally just started that year in '88. '88, yeah. That's when Gangster Walking started. Uh huh. Oh, y'all was live. Yes, DJ Spanish Fly and Ray the J at Club No Name. Oh wow, wow. Were y'all like really flowing? I mean, we was was we was was rapping. I don't know how cold we was, but (laughs) (laughs) we we was getting it. (laughs) So you just said, "Let me get a group of my friends and we gonna try this rap thing out." Yeah, it was just it for me it was weird. I just literally woke up one day being able to rap. It was like, you know, it was just a, a weird thing. I woke up one Saturday morning and was like, "Huh. Think I can rap." Mm-hmm. And I started rapping. I was like, "Yeah, I'm okay. I can rap." It was it was like the Matrix. The <laughs> I think Matrix. I know Kung Fu. Yeah. Oh my god. Like at that time, what rappers did you like in A? Oh, shoot. And, it was 87 when I started, so it would have been LL Cool J at the top of the list because he had I'm Bad mm-hmm. out, and that was like my ultimate jam. Uh, so LL, DMC, Beastie Boys, uh, and then eventually, like I don't think Eric B and Rakim, I don't think they really started playing that music here un- until like the end of 87. And and Rakim was the first one to kind of change. Well, he was the first one in at that time to change rap because you know, like DMC changed it first from what it used to be. Then LL came along, and then Rakim started putting his rhyme like after the beat. Mm-hmm. And you know, first I was like, "Whoa, mm-hmm. what is that? That's illegal. You can't do that." <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so all of that stuff was like big influence, and then uh, Public Enemy. Mm-hmm. Like once I got a hold to PE, 
Mm. It was a rap. That's that's what I used to listen to before I would do a concert. I would mm. listen to Black Steel in the Hour of Chaos. Look, you had to get pumped up before yes. you went on that stage, huh? Yeah, and I think that was a Isaac Case. That was an Isaac Case sample. Uh-huh. Yeah. <clears throat> so, how far did you take the M Team? Like, how long were you we, doing it, and what did y'all do? We did it. We were like the first rap group. We were the first rap group from Memphis to have a full length CD or uh, album, and then we were the first ones, I think, to be on MTV, mm-hmm. and that was like ninety ninety one. So wow. I I did that up until about ninety three, and you know we went all over. We did shows with like DJ Quick and a bunch of folks. Y'all were touring. Yeah, we was the M team. We was, was we live. we were we were crunk in our own way. Oh my! And you know, <laughs> a lot of times, you know, because Memphis music is getting so much recognition now, we'll kind of date the rap piece back to like three six. But it started with the M team. <laughs> Oh my, that is so interesting. I know it's crazy, right? Okay, so what happened to the M team? Did it come to a halt, and you decided to do something different? My family, uh, my mom and my aunt opened a club on Bill Street. They Mm -hmm. got the club in '93, and it was called Willie Mitchell's on Bill. And once the club opened, like I started doing, I you know started helping. Mm-hmm. And you know, was um, like busboying and waiting tables, bartending, DJing, mixing, engineering. Like early 90s. I, yeah, I was doing um, a whole lot of stuff at the club, and that's really why I learned how to do live sound and stuff. Because we would have like famous people come through there. I remember. Uh, Shoot, I remember Johnny Walker brought Montel Jordan through there mm. when he had this. Is out. Yeah, yeah. That was I know like who Montel is. First, I got a picture. First time, it was really before that record hit. Really. Yeah, and we would have people like the Temptations mm-hmm. show up and sit in with the band. Michael McDonald, just all kind of crazy. So, would they they would come to the club because I know I know your dad Willie Mitchell was popping, but they would come to the club. Were, were you handling the sound when they would come? Sometimes I would be, mm-hmm. yeah. So, do you think that's kind of where you honed your skills? I really learned my like business stuff from because I eventually started managing the club, uh, and I learned all my, you know, I started learning more about business from there. Now with Moonlight. At the studio, um, you know, recording and still writing songs and stuff. So I'd stay at the club all night, three in the morning, go to the studio mm-hmm. and write songs, you know, or, or whatever. And um, but that time period, uh, I wasn't at the studio much at, at all because the club that was like a, a big undertaking. Yeah, and then that's when <laughs> they first um, let you stay open to five in the morning. Mm. It was during that era, mm. and it's like Bill Street, still the only uh, place in the state of Tennessee where you can serve liquor till five on the weekends. Mm, I didn't know that. Now, no. was Bill Street lit like in the early nineties, like it is now? No, it was different. It was it was more lit on like the tourist would hang on the B.B. King's end. And then we had Willie Mitchell's, and there was uh, the pool hall was there. And there was another club there for a minute called the Ritz. 
So most of like people coming to our club were like regulars and not we didn't get a lot of tourists but we would have all of the you know the famous you know the black judges and the doctors and lawyers and the mayor you know just everybody would uh everybody would come there especially in the winter time cuz during the winter time the the tourist end would be kind of dead where well, we'd yeah. be popping what is your fondest memory from the club? Oh man! One of them. Uh, shoot! One of them is when yeah, I forgot Jamie Fox was in that joint. Hey, <laughs> forgot about that. That's when he had a show out. Mm-hmm. And he sat in with the band, but uh, Ollie Woodson from the Temptations, the lead singer, the one that sang "Treat Her Like a Lady." That cat came and sit in with the band and sang mm-hmm. and then he told a drummer like man that man got on the drums and it was like whoa <laughs> it, it sounded like another band he just he made my drummer look really bad oh wait he got on the drums and was Shut just up. yeah oh wow Dang. i wish i was <clears> like <throat> you know in memphis back then so i could have checked it out see what y'all were working with but i was a little younger then <laughs> <laughs> We would have to let you in as a cousin. Yes, as a cousin. cousin, (laughs) As a cousin. Now, when um, the club came to a close, is that when you focused full throttle on the studio piece? Yeah, so I started, um, so like being at the club, it kind of uh, fueled my desire to have a knowledge of the music, of the business of music. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at one point I thought I'd, may have wanted to be an entertainment attorney mm. um but i you know i was just doing all research on you know agreements and all kind of stuff so when the club closed i started a label with my brother and we had um we had some hip hop artists and stuff and i was still you know producing and stuff just more on the side and I, I went back to the studio and started managing the studio and I remember one of the first things about my daddy was still renting a telephone from A to TNT from Bell South for what? $20 a month oh, wow. <clears throat> and I was like pop go get a phone at Target for $20 okay. <laughs> it's like bro you still really? renting a telephone oh. so I, you know I started doing stuff around the studio and kind of, uh, you know, it's like we never had a logo and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I was doing that and I did that. Um, and then my pop started getting some uh, calls from, you know, famous people that wanted to make records with him and stuff. Mm-hmm. So. I was kind of cultivating all of that and being liaison between the, the label, the artist, and my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I did that for still producing and engineering more on, on the side, though. Um, like Will Graves was one of my first I cats like that, that I recorded. Um, yeah, Will was good. He We cut a few really cool records. Um, and I did that up until probably 2004. And in 2004 is when I started full-time engineering again. Mm-hmm. And just it was really like 
out of um, necessity. A lot of stuff that happened to me, I didn't plan on, but I was just doing what needed to be done mm-hmm. at the time. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. Now, you know what I heard about Royal Studios? It's something about your sound. It's the sound of Royal Studios. So when I think of sound, I think of production, engineering. It must be your magic touch. But well, I, I don't I don't know about my touching, but the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a five studio I appreciate studio over there. that, but... Um, <laughs> But the the room really um, has a magic to it, and it's we we haven't changed anything. Like my pop struggled, you know, getting the studio to where it it was because when he first started making records there, they wouldn't let him engineer, and he never liked the way his record sounded. So he eventually started engineering in the mid '60s, around '64, and. By 68, he had bought out the engineer that wouldn't let him engineer. Mm. <clears throat> so he could, you know, Pop, like, got that room designed like he wanted it. And 69 was like the year he perfected the sound of it. Mm-hmm. And Tired of Being Alone by Al Green was like the first record recorded with the perfected Willie Mitchell configuration, which is, you know, it's a lot of burlap and fiberglass insulation mm-hmm. um and so that's when, when you listen to those al green and ann people's records and otis clay all the high records you you know that that intimate warm sound is because of what my dad did to the room so you know i'm glad god gave me the good sense not to mess with the room <laughs> okay <laughs> fully customized wow so you mentioned Al Green. Um, are you and Al Green really close to this day? Oh, yeah. Al is like, I mean, I grew up with, I mean, he's like an uncle to me, yeah. you know. I've known, he, he's known me longer than I've known him, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was always a part, you know, always a part of the family. Uh, all those guys, the, the high rhythm section guys, mm-hmm. uh Reverend Charles Hodges, Leroy Hodges, uh, Teeny Hodges, rest in peace. Um, my uncle Archie Turner was also one of the high rhythm guys. Howard Grimes, uh, yeah, all of those dudes. Wow, family. So much <clears throat> history. Now we talking about you know artists and uh, Memphis music, and you know you started the M team. You know what I'm saying? You like the <laughs> <laughs> beginning. So when we talk about Memphis rap, it's changed so much, you know, over the years. Are there, you know, any ways that it stayed the same, in your opinion? Yeah, I think I think Memphis music, um, I think the spirit of, I'm trying to think who said this. Uh, I think Sam Phillips. Is either Sam Phillips or Knox Phillips? Um said that Memphis represents the independent spirit of music. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that means that we've never been conformist. Never. We've always, <laughs> like, not said F the world, but... Did it our way. Did it our way. Like, we didn't care, you know, because records that came out of other cities were tailored 
to be kind of white glove and you know catered to certain audiences but you know what sam phillips did at sun studios you know sam was recording everybody because back then people weren't just recording a lot of black folks and sam didn't care he was recording everybody and you know my dad doing the stuff um when my dad started everything was big band or you know it was either jazz or blues and he invented the soul music element in the 50s like don't need all these horns don't need all these instruments um so i think that you know the same so we've always memphis has always been a city of trendsetters and influencers and it permeates to the rap because when we started when memphis started rapping we wasn't trying to sound like (laughs) new york la we were doing our own thing you know and a lot of these records that you hear on the radio now are you know their homage to memphis early hip-hop you know like travis scott um I think it was may have been last year's Grammy Awards. Well, I'm sitting in the stands and here come <laughs> Travis with like 50 dudes on stage. Tad a club up. Mm-hmm. Tad a club, club up. I was like, yeah, that's off that Astro World album. I love that album. I was like, yeah. okay, that's three six mafia with the hundred folks on stage. That's how oh, we like, did. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm videoing. I'm like, I got my phone out. Oh, um, wow. So all you know, so I think our hip hop, like all our music, mm-hmm. um, sets trends and influences people because we just not like anybody else. And I mean, even the rap that's happening today. I mean, you know, like Two Chains is great, but the first Ratchet rapper was Project Pat. The yes, first cat to yes. make you go, oh, my God, did he say that? Did he say <laughs> that? And we were saying it, too. Okay. This is the first shocking rapper. Um, so I just think that is, um, I think all our music is just represents the, the spirit of the city, and that's independence and, you know, doing it our way. Do you think, why do you think, that it's taken a while, uh, at least on the rap end, to be recognized. Because it, it's been, an, it seems like it was Well, you, a- you had to rap Nazis. I mean, just like, you know, you had to rap Nazis. Like, oh, you can't, you know, because when I was rapping, I had a song called, like, the first M-Team song was called This Is Hip Hop. Mm-hmm. And my dad would play it for A&R. So I'm like, oh, you can't say this is hip hop. Because it, it clearly wasn't hip-hop it was us doing some memphis stuff and they were like well you can't say you can't call it you got to change the name you know because you have the you know i call them the nazis the purist mm-hmm. um and you know they never recognize you know if you weren't you know like cool g uh uh you know or nas or somebody then they didn't respect you as a lyricist yeah. um but all of that stuff is destroyed because everybody trying to sound like us. Everybody. From New York to Baghdad. My God. 
<clears throat> that is that's that's what's going on right now, and I'm loving it. Yeah, I love it too. Like Cardi B with the bicking heads. I'm like, don't be <laughs> mad at her. She is paying respect. Yes, she putting some respect on your name. Man, bicking head came out. I said, oh, well, now we got Project Pat. Who next? Like okay. everyone is being sampled. Yep. Do you find artists come into your studio like looking for a Memphis sound? Like when they oh, come to Royal, I want oh Memphis. Yeah, oh yeah, um, yeah. So we get we get a lot of uh, we get a lot of people that you know specifically want the Memphis soul sound or the you know want my record to sound like Al Green. It's like you can't sing like Al Green. No. <laughs> That's the difference. <laughs> like, you can't sing. I can like do what I can with the music, but yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, Memphis has a gritty sound. It's like it's it's not pretty. It ain't perfect. It's 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 perfect imperfection. Um you know, and it's it, it truly is uh soul cuz when you hear it, it affects your body. You going you going to make a face, you going to move, you going to do something cuz yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Okay, so like recently we seen the influence of Memphis rap uh show up whether through sampling of music, um hits, things of that nature. What do you think this means for the continued expansion of Memphis music? How do you see this Memphis, you know, uprising going forward? I think we still going to push the envelope and and one thing that I I didn't mention about, you know, the Memphis rap, well if you look at the other people that were rapping, like when N.W.A. and Eazy first started, they were all sampling Memphis music. Isaac Hayes, you know, they yeah. was um, Rufus Thomas, mm-hmm. the, um, the Wu Tang Clan sampled. My daddy had a. There's a Willie Mitchell record called Groovin' that Wu Tang sampled probably twenty times. It's on twenty different <laughs> Wu Tang records. You so. know what? Yeah. Because, you know, they got the new Wu-Tang series out, and someone had tweeted about that. I said, dang, Memphis is everywhere. Yeah, we're everywhere. And I, th- we will still continue to, um, you know, be cutting edge and pushing the envelope and influencing people because we just, you know, we don't think like everybody else. We No, we don't. <laughs> no, we don't. No, we don't. Now, let me ask you this. Um, just, you know, you've worked with so many artists. Um, what are some of the Memphis artists that you think deserve more attention, whether past or present? Oh, man. Um, you know, there was a, a lot of artists like O.V. Wright, uh, Otis Clay. Uh, O.V. Wright was one of the greatest soul singers that ever walked the planet, but he's not as well known as some of the other ones. So, you know, you got people like him that um that the you know, the real soul aficionados they know about him, you know. Um and Who I, makes I, a good soul singer? Like I know you have a good ear for that though. What, what is it's your the, opinion? It's the pa- you know, it's the passion, uh you gotta have the talent, but you have to the people that live what they're singing, you know, people people feel real and people respond to real, mm-hmm. you know. That's 
you know, that's why I'm, um, there's not a lot of Memphis stuff that's made, you know, like we don't write songs because we think that's what people want to hear. You know, we the stuff that comes from the heart hits the heart. And singing, I just did a, um, I got to do a concert with this old blues singer named Willie Cobbs that's uh, still alive. He's got to be 80-something. But every time this man sings, he tears run down his face. And I thought it was, you, you know, it's just, it's almost an involuntary, but you can feel it. He's feeling it, and you can feel it, too. <laughs> so, really? Yeah, so that's the, the um, you know, they have to be living what they're singing mm-hmm. to to be a true soul singer. Mm-hmm. I feel that. I feel that, boo. Now let me ask you this. So the Grammys. Let's talk about the Grammys. <laughs> now, how did you feel when they called your name? Okay. So when they Walk me through. Called- <laughs> <laughs> Grammy night. Okay. So I'm not one to count my chickens before they hatch, but everybody's like, "Oh, you gonna win? Y'all gonna win?" I'm like, "Yeah, fingers crossed." So everybody I'm, was like, that. "Everybody was that like, was the mood." That was the mood, and I'm like, "Okay, okay." And so it's a group of engineers. Um, so it's Bruno's engineer, Charles, uh, Mark Ronson's engineer, um, and and a couple more guys. So we all like on the elevator going to the thing, and they're like. Uh, Man, are you, are you gonna go up there if they call your name? I'm like, bruh, if they call my name, I'm gone. <laughs> so what is a Grammy? So um, so we're sitting there, uh, and you know it's the last Grammy they give, it's record of the year, and they're going through. Such and, a big award. And uh, I think Beyonce was even like hesitant. She was like. I, I don't know. She was having a moment, and Bruno was like, "Come on, Beyonce, who is?" <laughs> and, and she goes, "Uptown Funk." So when she says "Uptown oh, Funk," me. I like, I'm like, "Okay," I'm like Carl Lewis. I'm like getting in the in the in the track blocks, and I'm waiting. You know, they calling names, they calling names, and they say, "Hey, Boo Mitchell," I took I off. I saw you, <laughs> and so we were so proud during my jog to the. <laughs> <laughs> Did it feel long? During during my sprint to the stage, this big security guard jumps in front of me. No. Yes, and I'm like, I, I'm like, bro, I'm they call my name. If you don't move, we're gonna be on TV. Okay. And he was like, okay. <laughs> he was okay. Like, okay. I was okay. like, bro, if you don't get out of my way, oh my. I'm finna Carl Lewis your butt. Okay. Yeah, he moved. You better have moved. You went on, but that's stage. why I popped up on stage a little bit late. So if you see, it's like that. it's like you don't see me then. Boom! I'm. <laughs> you was there. You was there. Yeah. How did it feel it when was, you were on uh, stage? Man, it's an indescribable. You know, one of the greatest moments of my life. Clearly, like just surreal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you. Uh, you make music, you know, you just work your butt off and in the music business, it's it's not linear like other professions. Like if you're going to be a doctor, you know, if you go to school and pass and then do your, you know, you're going to be a doctor. You know what I mean? Music is like you work your butt off 
and hope something that you do is gonna you know have some substance and um yeah and so i you know i had always hoped to win a grammy you know and i had some feels and genres that i thought i had a good chance at winning one in Mm -hmm. but it wasn't i never would have dreamed that it would have been that one you know what i mean i wasn't it was just um yeah, it was, it was a blessing, and and that whole session, um, because we we did Mark Ronson's whole album, which was like one of the most magical uh, experiences for me as as an engineer and just as a musician and as a person too, because it was you know a lot of amazing people, um, the energy, the spirit, the camaraderie. Um, you know, it, it was just an amazing experience. Wow. So you won the Grammy that night. How did your life change the next day? <laughs> what, <laughs> what was different after the Grammy? Uh, you know, it 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 feels good to be, uh, you know, validated. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, it and is. I had, you know, it was a lot of stuff going on in my personal life before that so I've felt vindicated you know it was um it was uh yeah one of the most magical because you know sometimes because I you know I'm 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 not a believer in God I know is a God Mm -hmm. so you know sometimes when you live your life and you you know you're trying to be spiritual and you know and stuff happens and sometimes you feel like you know come on man you still there like mm-hmm. what did i do <laughs> what did i do and um you know that night was just like him going hey bro i still got you mm-hmm. so so what do you think that award means for memphis music history it's when the, I think the, about it, when you got that Grammy, it's just like that's. I think that's like that's when we really pop. That's when Memphis really was popping. It's really crazy that I'm the I'm the first and only Memphian to win a record of the year Grammy. The only, yeah. Ain't that something? All this talent we got here too. I know. I mean, out of Elvis <laughs> and Isaac and. Boo Mitchell did. Arisa, everybody. I that's mean, that's amazing. That's a, that's a crazy. Um, yeah, I never would have dreamed that, but I'm just the first one. I'm not the last one. So come on, my musicians, y'all got to come on with it. We need some more. But um, it's yes, yeah, it's, it's crazy how things happen. Have people been beating down your door to work with you? Yeah, we yeah business increase <laughs> business yeah, increased. <laughs> but now yeah. you can pick and choose too. Yeah, it it um, bless you. It allowed me to uh, kind of select what what I want to, especially uh, being a producer. Um, and I'm just you know, it's my producer role is coming to the forefront now. More people are seeking me out to produce their records, which is fun you know because when you're an engineer it's like sometimes you're so a producer is like a movie director Mm -hmm. and the engineer is 
kind of like the, I don't know, like the cameraman. Uh, you know, the producer tells people how to sing and the engineer makes things sound the way it sounds. And sometimes those lines get blurred. Like if somebody rents the studio and I'm not the producer, but I'm the engineer, they always go, well, what do you think? And I'm like, okay, you're not paying me to know what I think. <laughs> I'm a Grammy but, Award winner. Baby. But, you know, you always, you know, people get freebies. Um, but it's because, uh, uh, and there are a lot of producers that don't engineer. Most of the time it's two separate jobs. You know, they are producers that have specific engineers that they like to work with because they know the sound that they're going to get. Um but I came, you know, from the the Willie Mitchell camp, and my dad was the engineer, the producer, the songwriter, all of that. So, you know, it feels good to do both. Wow. I mean, with the engineering process you just spoke about, I mean, you know, technology has kind of changed a lot. And I know you got the Willie Mitchell customized studio over there. Have you guys been dibbling and dabbling with any technology advancements with oh, music? Oh, yeah. We still have all um, all of the technical stuff in the control room. Uh, like, you know, we use Pro Tools and we have all the plug-ins and outboard gear. Um, we just, uh, the studio room itself, the recording floor is, you know, not modernized, but we can, you know, we do all kinds of records we can make anything we have the advantage to have the the vintage um recording floor because we can make records we can easily make records sound like they came from back in the day mm. than somebody with a modern studio and it's you know yeah. so we kind of got the best of both worlds what what is your favorite artist to work with? Like as an engineer, do you want to focus on like that old sound, some rap, some R and B? What do like, you like? You know, I like I'm a musical mutt, so <laughs> I like everything. Like when I was in fourth grade, I would come home. I had four or five records I would listen to. The first one was, you know, Gap Band Four. Mm. So I'd listen to Gap Band, then I'd put my ACDC on, then I'd put uh, Rapper's Delight on. Oh, yeah, you liked everything. And then, I, you know, I had my queen, Another One Bites the Dust. So yeah, I like it all. Um, you know, I, I just got a chance to mix my son Uriah Mitchell's album, which he, you know, makes all his own tracks and stuff. And... I had so much fun mixing that record. I was like, "Ooh, I get to get scratch my hip hop R and B pop." Get in that hip hop. Yeah, bag. I was like, "Oh yeah, we can put the sub in and <laughs> turn, <laughs> make your ride pop, turn the bass up." Wow! So it was a lot of you know, it's a lot of fun. Um, I just like good music, um, and when people are being genuinely, uh, you know, I, I like people that are. are of being real when they do their music and it, it you can always you know it it, it permeates everything else the, the realness wow i know you told me your son uriah has an album coming out soon how would you describe uriah's sound man his sound um is come it's very melodic 
and complex because I'd be like, bro, where did you? Because I know I showed him something, but he doing <laughs> stuff I didn't show him that kind of reminds me more of what my d- dad would have done. Mm. Um, In the DNA. Yeah, so his sound is, his lyrics are straight from the heart and the the melodies and stuff. His music has so much complex melodies. It's, uh, it sounds, it has a familiarity to it. And then at the same time, like this newness, like you've never heard anything like it before. I can't wait to hear it. When is it dropping? Uh, about three weeks. In three weeks. What mm-hmm. is it called? No More Lullabies is the name of the album. No More Lullabies. Yeah, he's got a single in video, in video out now called Might Be. That's okay. He's got about 100,000 hits on YouTube. So. Wow. Okay, Uriah. <laughs> I follow Uriah on uh, Instagram. I'm going to have to check out. Check out. Yeah. His, his work is he gonna have like a big release party mm-hmm. and stuff? Can yeah. I get an invite? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I can't wait to listen. So tell me about the big Mempho Fest yes. coming up. How did this all begin? The Mempho Fest. Mempho Music Fest. Um, you know, it started with a a, a group of people. Um, it, it's founding father father Diego Weingartner. And some more Memphis people that kind of in my age bracket, you know, they wanted to do something to utilize Shelby Farms. Mm -hmm. So Shelby Farms is, it has all these crazy facts. It's the biggest park in a city municipality in the country. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's like (laughs) seven times the size of Central Park. And then the Hides did this like hundred million dollar renovation. It's like literally one of the most beautiful places mm-hmm. anywhere. Um, so you know they were like, we have this amazing space in our backyard, and you know it's being underutilized, underused. Um, you know, so they wanted to do something to put the spotlight on it, and being in Memphis, it's like we had to do something music generated. Um, so the whole idea of the festival is, you know, to make it completely Memphis centric. So a lot of the artists um, chose have a connection with Memphis in some kind of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, Margot Price uh, is on it. She recorded her record here. Um, mm-hmm. PJ Morton, uh my homeboy he's is be playing his record on uh, V101 right now. Yes, that's my yeah. brother. Say so, so, so PJ is in a part of the Memphis Grammy chapter. Mm-hmm. So, the Memphis Grammy chapter covers uh, it covers Memphis and all of Mississippi, all of Louisiana, all of Arkansas, and St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And PJ's from New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to work with uh. PJ came to Royal and I produced a um uh a Martin Luther King uh tribute concert at the Grammy Museum and we had PJ Morton and William Bell and uh Betty Wright. So nice. so PJ is a homeboy. Um the Wu Tang clan has some of the most Memphis centric 
connections because they sample Willie Mitchell records. They sampled Isaac Hayes records. Mm-hmm. They sampled Al Green records. They said they dropped them beats at the Memphis office. And then, you know, <laughs> they recorded, I recorded not their current album, but their last album was recorded at Royal. I did not know that. Yeah. And and the players, so we made a whole album with um, live musicians, and Charles Hodges from the High Rhythm section is on it. Lester Snell uh, from the Stacks Rhythm section is on it. Lester is playing piano on Shaft, so mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, they had they have a lot of uh, Memphis uh, Memphisness. So. So all the all the acts that will be performing in Memphis Fest have ties to Memphis. Oh yeah, and then we got DJ Paul. Yeah. So Paul is bringing a lot of his friends with him. Uh, Little White will be there. Uh, Little Chat will be there, and his uh, protege is the Seed of Six, which is his nephew and um, Lord Infamous's son. Okay. Yeah. And they hard, the they hard to, uh, in the C to Six, um, one of their members does a lot of, has done a lot of beats for like Dolph and a whole bunch of folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also they bring him, I'm super excited to see uh, Duke Deuce. Duke Deuce. Yes. Wow. This we gonna be a in good class got fist. in trouble with the law. Yep. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be lit. It's going to be lit. What is the dates of the event? Uh, October 19th and 20th. Wow. And then it's going to be like all day. Saturday, Sunday. It's the most like, you know, I've been to concerts and I I really don't. When I go to concerts, I'm always backstage or working or something. I'm never in general population. Mm -hmm. But I went in general population last year Mm -hmm. and (laughs) I had a ball because it's, it's like the cleanest. Like literally, there's no trash anywhere. It's the at most the at the festival. Like you, and and it's that way by design. They have trash ninjas. Like you don't see no there's no bottle paper, nothing on the ground, just rolling beautiful grass. Mm, they don't play in Shelby Farms. Oh no, it's <laughs> it's like, um, in the park is really the star of the show. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's just it has such a good energy. It, it you know, so if you might not like all the music there, but come to the park and just check it out, and you know, you'll be back year after year because it's it's just a great experience. Well, I'm sure you guys are gonna get an even better turnout this year. We're definitely yeah. coming through to check y'all out. Yes, we are. And Boo Mitchell, now it is time for the verbally effective minute. You don't know what this is. Do uh-uh. you? Look, a minute can be a long a minute can be a long time depending on what's going on. Look, don't be scared. Don't be scared. I'ma ask you a few rapid fire questions. Okay. And I need you to give me an answer and tell me why. Okay? And it's gonna be dealing with music. Okay. Okay, so you good. I can do that. Okay. So who do you think will have more longevity with their rap careers? Yo Gotti? Money bag or young dog? Mm, mm. Man. <laughs> I did it. Dang. 
all of them is the correct thing to say. Wow. All of All of them. Come on. All of them. Who do you uh, think out of those three is the most unique? Uh, Dolph. Why do you say that? It's just his, uh, I don't know. I like his, uh, I like his approach and his subject matter is just, uh, you can tell he's been through some stuff. You definitely can tell. You know what I'm saying? And you can feel the, you can feel it in his lyrics that he's, you know, that the stuff that he's seen in his life has definitely affected him, you know, and uh, and so. like you mentioned, like uh, Memphis music and artistry is grit and grind, and we don't care, and we don't talk about what we want to talk about. Like Dolph right. is right. one of those people, yeah, <laughs> that I, I can think of. Yeah, and I think you know, and and Yo Gotta is like Yo Gotta is a a great lyricist. I I really like. Mm-hmm. how he puts his creative you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and you know I'm, I'm a big bags fan too he's like those like i love all three of them cats yeah. so it's yeah. but uh Dolph just has a he has a way of putting uh what he's been through to you it, it, it might not even rhyme but but, <laughs> but you're you gonna feel it, it. But you know what? Dolph is also one of those Memphis artists that I think he grind out here, but he moved away. To, and, and when he moved away, that's when he got on. Mm-hmm. Then when he came back, we embraced him. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yep, you see exactly. a lot of that in Memphis? I do. And, you know, hats off. It, it's, you know, it's tough. It, you know, there's not a lot. There's not a lot of outlets here to, you know, to make it in your music. So a, a lot of times, people do have to go away. Yeah. Um, but the important thing is that he came back because there's a he lot of them back. that went. That ain't and, came back, and, right? <laughs> so you ain't even know and, they and, from Memphis, right? And claiming other cities. Yes, Dolph kept it real. He kept it real. He kept it real. Okay, you ain't. You can't get away now. I still got some more questions okay. for you now. Okay, as far as artists that you've worked with, who has been one of the biggest divas? And it could be a male or female. Nobody that you ever knew. Like who? I mean. Honestly, like the divas are always the people that are good but not great, mm-hmm. or somebody that has mm-hmm. the talent and they haven't made it, and they yeah. have a chip on their shoulder. But Why they like that? Because they this this is what my daddy told me. But you know, I, I had um, I'm not gonna call no names, but you probably wouldn't know them anyway. But I, I had the singer songwriter come and audition, you know, and when he left, my dad was like, that boy can sing, can't he? I was like, yeah. He's like, he played a guitar, too. I was like, yeah. He's like, he, he got a good look, too, right? I was like, yeah. And Pop goes, you know what the problem is? I was like, what's the problem? And Pop goes, in his mind, he's already a star. Mm-hmm. So what you going to do for him? Mm. And... 
that hit me. You know what I'm saying? And Pop was right. Because just so, you know, out of all the famous people I work with, I haven't had any divas. Mm. And, you know, we we treat everybody like family. So I got my Aunt Vaughn and my mama, Grammy Lowe, uh, <laughs> at the front. Any divasness uh, is going to be diff- diffused, but um, but most like all of, uh, honestly, out of you know John Mayer, Bruno, Al, Anthony Hamilton, mm-hmm. Wu Tang, Snoop, and Melissa Etheridge, you can go on and on. Mm-hmm. Everybody has it's like the people that. The the stars they are always the most down at Drake you know the most down to earth the the realest it's the ones you know that have the talent but haven't made it and they know that they better than Beyonce or they know they better than Jimi Hendrix you know what I mean exactly wow I bet you you've seen a lot of that in your day oh yeah wow well Boo if you weren't doing music what would you be doing. If that element was not in your life, what would you be Man, doing? Man, what would I be doing? Huh. I don't know. Maybe I would have been a doctor or a lawyer or something. I don't know. I like I like helping people, you know. Um, and I, I like solving problems. I think that's what why the engineering and the producing uh, speaks to me because I mean I still do. I don't care what if something breaks. I always try to fix it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably should, shouldn't. Engineer. But <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's an engineer I, for you. Yeah. Wow. Well, it has indeed been a pleasure. How can everyone follow you on social media and get in touch with you? Well, I'm on Instagram, Boo Mitchell Memphis, B Double O Mitchell Memphis. Uh, same thing on Facebook, Boo Mitchell Memphis. Uh, and on Twitter, I think I'm Boo Mitchell 901. Yes, yeah. I know. Twitter ain't cracked that code yet. <laughs> I got it, on Twitter. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Boo Mitchell, for coming by the Verbally Effective Podcast. You have definitely schooled me tonight. Uh-oh. You are indeed verbally effective. Thank well, you. Well, thank you. Yeah.